Hi everyone and welcome back to Discerning Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host Ant and you join me today for episode number 115 entitled The Ukraine Conflict Understanding the Fog of War. So before I get into um, today's conversation I just want to make a, uh, an important point with regards to any um, war or conflict situation. I think it's important to that we extend our love and support to not only the people of Ukraine but to um, any individual or groups of people who find themselves in such a situation anywhere in the world because obviously I'm sure you'll agree as a human being I personally can't think of um, anything more hideous or um, disastrous situation to be in to experience that so and also I think um, because war and conflict is such an emotive issue um, I think we need to make sure that we don't we don't take sides and we don't become too emotional um, because I think that can come across as um, being uh, deeply insensitive to people who find themselves in this situation and also it doesn't really help us um, doesn't really help us resolve or understand what's what is actually happening so anyway so obviously um, the news now the mainstream news um, like a switch that's been flicked has instantaneously um, shifted from the COVID narrative the collapsing COVID narrative um, to the uh, situation the ongoing situation um, in the Ukraine now what we're also witnessing um, is a sort of kind of the emergence of a new Cold War, if you like, um, with many uh, brands and corporations now um, ceasing their operations in Russia. And uh, we don't know the extent to which, uh, what impact that's going to have uh, on the country. Um, many Western governments are also um, imposing economic sanctions on Russia and its ability to trade with the world and its ability to take part in the global financial system. And also we're also, of course, hearing about sanctions against Russian billionaires, Russian oligarchs. But with regards to the sort of economic uh, sanctions, um, that does have a kind of woke flavour in that uh, it's more about these organisations and corporations wanting to appear virtuous in their actions um, rather than actually what they're doing have any real having any real impact. I'm not sure how, for example, McDonald's pulling out of uh, Russia or, or any of these organisations and banks, even like Goldman Sachs, um, Shell are stopping all their operations in Russia. How does that actually um, help any civilians in the Ukraine right now? I mean, it's it's questionable, isn't it? And also with organisations, uh, corporations, I should say, like Shell. Well, um, all um, anyone has to do is um, research their operations in Nigeria uh, and their actions, and you can you can see how vacuous um, their, their, their actions are in terms of wanting to appear woke and virtuous. Very, they ring very hollow, to be honest. So as part of this um, anti-Russian rhetoric, which um, really is, is, it reminds me of 
if we think of um, the Cold War, as I was saying, and the West versus Russia, or primarily America versus Russia, as it was, you had you had these sort of um, fear narratives in the United States, the red me the red menace, reds under the bed. We had, of course, the McCarthy witch hunt, witch hunts, I should say, and the threat of nuclear war was uh, was always uh, in the public's mind. I can remember growing up in the 1970s and 80s, going to school, going to school quite often. During the school day, we would be shown government information films about um, you know what what we could do in the in the uh, case of a nuclear attack and crawl under the dining room table as if that would have as if that would have any effect have any effect so as i say the um the uh the system the political establishment and using their um proper propaganda mouthpieces the mainstream media really are trying to inflate this idea of the threat of world war three and nuclear war so it's almost as if an old program has returned uh, an existing, uh, sort of like the the threat of Russia. We think of the whole issue of uh, Russia Gate and Trump that was there in the background, and now they've um, obviously brought to the surface again with this idea of trying to uh, portray Trump as a new um, as a new type of um, Hitler figure. Because people were obviously, as I've spoken about before on on my podcast, people were no longer really scared of COVID. But the spectre of a nuclear war is the new substitute fear. And on a sort of spiritual level, um, that's bringing up a lot of um, ancestral fears. Um, going back to the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s. It's really like, a, that's all, it's in our sort of DNA. Because there was, it was constantly in our consciousness, in our collective consciousness. Um, this idea of uh, imminent nuclear annihilation so it is interesting that they've um, reinflated political establishment an old threat so why why is that why why are the political establishment now um, raising specter of nuclear annihilation world war three and a new cold war uh, why not why not just uh, create um, why not just create a new threat, really? So what what is what is going on here? Well, of course, war triggers an extremely um, primal part of the brain. It's extremely emotive, and in that kind of febrile atmosphere, what you get is people tend to lose the ability. A lot like during COVID, people tend to lose the ability to think critically, to think objectively. It's about choosing one side over the other and obviously in this instance um, the vast majority of people are wanting to stand with the Ukraine and uh, stand with the blue and yellow flag of course and they may they may well not understand or come into this um, later on in this episode of, of the deeper broader context of what's historically occurred in the Ukraine and why Russia might be doing doing um, what they're doing in Ukraine right now. And as I was saying, this switch towards um, a war narrative um, basically has, um, 
has come about, I think, because more and more people, not just so-called conspiracy theorists or truthers, um, more and more, you know, general uh, everyday people amongst the general population were starting to question the motivations and legitimacy of government. And the system describes this as a sort of a, a crisis of democracy, the rise of populism. This is how they framed um, this is how they framed the pres the Trump presidency, because he he went against many kind of excuse me Western liberal ideas, and um, he didn't support many tenets of the whole woke ideology. So obviously. That's why he was a, a figure of hate and this sort of whole orange man bad. Now he's, um, this figure of hate has now, uh, he's almost been replaced by um, Vladimir, Vladimir Putin, as I was saying before, who's now been um, compared to Adolf Hitler. And there's some very, very, um, how should we say, some very dangerous, inflammatory ideas being pushed out there by the mainstream and that he is trying to uh, instigate, um, you know, a new world war and that after Ukraine, um, he is going to in, uh, invade other countries bordering um, Russia, uh, former Soviet states. And there's no evidence to suggest that at all. And at the very start, um, he said that the conflict will be limited to to the Ukraine. So, of course, in terms of um, this sort of switch from a, a fake pandemic to a war or conflict, um, I think part of the reason why this is happening also is because the illusion or myth of Western liberal democracy was becoming harder and harder to maintain in uh, Western society and because people's basic freedoms uh, during lockdowns and COVID vaccination uh, compulsory mandates really were, it was becoming obvious that um, democracy is largely a chimera and uh, an illusion. So the political establishment needed clear change of tactics, uh, needed a new narrative to repair the public's faith in political institutions and um, so what we have now, which is really interesting to consider, is that many people who were beginning to wake up to the truth about politics and uh, the manipulation of the mainstream media and how it's all mainly lies and disinformation and propaganda. Now many of those people who, as I say, were beginning to wake up, they're now supporting their own national governments uh, because they're seeing, seeing to stand uh, against Putin stand uh, with the Ukraine and it's quite amazing that they now suddenly a lot of people who are being critical as they're saying of the mainstream media and the tactics they use um, to basically program the public's mind and consciousness they're now completely swallowing everything that the mainstream media is saying about the conflict in Ukraine so it's um, yeah, it's fascinating uh, to to watch, and yet again, this also deflects uh, attention away from national governments and their own failings, and it's often that's why they create uh, enemies abroad. And we've seen this during the last twenty, thirty years with the likes, of course, of Saddam Hussein in Iraq, Slobodan Milosevic in the former Yugoslavia, 
uh, Colonel Gaddafi in, in, in Libya. I mean, there are numerous, numerous examples and, uh, of course, uh, President Assad in Syria, who's actually still in power, of course. But um, when, a, when a national government wants to deflect attention away from its own failings or when the, uh, when the population begin to, uh, begin to rise up, and as, of course, we've seen massive uh, pushback against the COVID narrative and the continuing, uh, continuing truckers' convoy in, in Canada and other disputes, sorry, and, and other protests in other countries. So um, there was... Um, the political establishment really were beginning to get concerned that there's a real deep paradigm shift and that their power base was threatened. And that's another reason why, obviously, you have the situation in Ukraine. And, of course, uh, Putin perfectly fits the mould of the anti-Russian rhetoric um, emanating primarily from the Democrats. In recent years in the US, and we had Russiagate, which was an attempt to implicate former President Trump in, in a scandal, but that ultimately failed. So it's always this issue of Russian control and influence within a Western society has always been simmer, simmering away in the background uh, for quite a few for quite a few years now. So in the, in this kind of uh, situation, we know that there's a backdrop of um, imminent economic and financial collapse. Basically, the global financial system, they keep kicking the can down the road. They keep inflating the debt to um, absolutely insane levels. And we keep hearing about the likelihood of a, of a, of a world, world Economic Forum Great Reset. So, essentially, most Western nations are completely broke saddled with excessive debt and us as so-called consumers and individuals of course we're also um we're also um we're also saddled with a lot of debt and many many people are really struggling financially and here in the uk the media hype all we keep hearing is um this idea of a cost of living crisis and it keeps repeated ad, ad nauseum, a cost of living crisis. And this has been fueled, pardon the pun, by a massive increase in, in energy bills, which have been more than, in many cases, are more than doubling. So the system really needs a, a plausible explanation for a financial and economic collapse. And if that were to, if that were, were to occur in the coming weeks and months, no doubt that will be blamed on Russia. So, um, you know, what, watch out for that. Watch your space. See, see what happens. But I mean, many of the many of the sanctions that are being placed on on Russia by the West, right, right now, and many commentators have been making this point, could actually land up harming um, harming citizens in the West more more than in Russia. Uh, and um, also the public in Europe um, are already being prepared for the impact, as I say, of sanctions placed upon uh, Russia. It's what you're hearing politicians say now, and this will become common more and more, is the, the mantra of it's the price we're going to have to pay. 
So many leading political figures, conservative uh, ministers here in the UK are saying, well, it's the price we're going to have to pay in order to defeat um, Putin and Russia in the Ukraine, which of course is a perfect way uh, in which they can avoid taking responsibility for the destruction of their own national economies, because as we know, <laughs> the, the general public can never be told the truth because there'd be um, there'd be blood on the streets and a revolution on um, on day on day on day two. So there definitely appears to be a, a massive power shift occurring uh, within the financial global elite. It's like a almost like a, a dangerous chair or a, a dangerous ga a game of musical chairs. Sorry, I should say. And it's probably too easy to consider what impact these sanctions will have on the global economy and whether they'll be fully implemented. It could be that um, some of these, as I was saying at the start, some of these corporations and their drive to close down their operations in Russia, they might not be fully implemented once they start, um, once the reality of uh, the impact on their, their profits. It could be that they're in the coming months and years that they're quietly dropped. We don't, we don't really know what that will happen. But on the surface, at least, it does appear as if there is a coordinated attack by Western powers on the Russian economy. And we know now for, um, for quite a few years that Russia has been decoupling from Western financial institutions, and that does seem to be accelerating right now. And of course, the West has, uh, is placing sanctions upon certain Russian banks, and they've been excluded from the SWIFT, um, the SWIFT uh, system of exchanging monies between countries. Now, we, again, we don't know, it's too early to say whether these are just um, knee-jerk reactions that will prove to have minimal impact. It's too early to say yet. And as I say, it could all just be a mirage, smoke and mirrors. There could be secret deals have been done between Western powers and Russia. Russian um, financial institution. Only time will tell. But it does uh, appear, at least on the surface, as if there is a massive shift going on right now in terms of international relations and geopolitics. New, new, new alliances are being formed and... Um, we, we don't know um, what impact this will have on us here in the West. It does seem to be that it could be um, it could be it could be quite uh, dramatic. We just don't really know at this stage. So I just want to move on now uh, in today's episode and just to give a little bit of a background if you're not aware of how we got into this current situation in terms of the recent history with regards to Russia and the Ukraine. So back in 2014, there was a Western-backed coup and the existing democratically elected leader was removed. And um, during, since during 2014, two breakaway regions have emerged in the east of Ukraine called Luhansk and the Donbass. And during that time, this estimated around 14,000 civilians living in this area have been killed by Ukrainian army shelling. And there has been period, 
periodic ceasefires and um, there was relative calm during the Trump presidency but any simmering tensions really have never been uh, have never been solved so Russia regards uh, the Ukraine as a vassal state or a puppet regime of the US and the West and it has links to the Clinton Foundation and the Bidens and the criminal operations and um, dirty money and money laundering and it's also said uh, uh, child trafficking uh, as well and um, in the weeks preceding the start of the invasion and conflict Putin was desperate to get assurances from NATO that Ukraine would never become a member of NATO legally binding assurances um, unfortunately, they never came, and uh, delegations, including the British Foreign Minister Liz Truss, went to um, went to Moscow and basically were just um, lecturing to Russia and telling them about what they need to do. And they weren't they weren't listening to Russia's security concerns at all. So Russia felt it was backed into a corner. It was facing an existential threat, and some have argued that they had little option in the face of uh, Western intimidation in such a scenario. So, in terms of the fog of war, it's always difficult to know what is actually occurring on the ground because we know that a lot of what we're seeing in the mainstream media are, is lies and propaganda. And it's... It's important to also say that I feel that there's a lot of information that in the same vein that's out there in the alternative in the alternative movement um, may also be propaganda and lies. So we need to kind of um, find a way or shine a light through the fog because uh, unless you're actually on the ground, it's difficult to know. It's difficult to know in, during wars and, com and in conflict zones. Um, what is actually happen, happening. I mean, the Western media are claiming that Russia is conducting a sort of blitzkrieg, shock and awe type of invasion with callous disregard for the, uh, the people of Ukraine and there's an indiscriminate shelling of civilian populations. The type of evil we haven't seen since the days of Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. And um, as I was saying before, they're claiming the mainstream media there's evidence that Putin is a mad dictator and that he'll move on to other former Soviet states and Eastern Bloc nations after the Ukraine and Western political analysts claim he is reinvoking the identity and prowess of a czarist Russia and that he's just trying this invasion of Ukraine is about him trying to secure his legacy in that vein and there's a, there's a lot of dangerous rhetoric and hyperbole, but if you check other sources, there's no real evidence to suggest any of the Western propaganda is true. That's not to say, unfortunately, that people are dying in Ukraine. Of course that they are, and that's a horrible, hideous situation, as I said at the start. And that certainly isn't to defend uh, Putin's actions in the Ukraine. But the response from the Western political establishment is because they fear that their power base is under threat. So the likes of the EU, 
NATO, the United Nations, they feel um, through Russia's actions that they could be on, on borrowed time. So it's not so much that they really care. These institutions, they don't care about human life. They don't care about the people in the Ukraine who are suffering right now. I mean, tell me uh, of, I'd like to hear of um, anyone, tell me about one war that the likes of the United Nations has ever stopped. All they tend to do, as we know, if we think back to the Iraq war, all they tend to do is um, approve and give the rub rubber stamp to, to wars, if you will. And there was all just, just back to Trump's presidency, there was talk uh, at some time that the United States would, would under his presidency, would, would, um, would leave NATO. I think that might have been a move too far and something that might have seen him get shot, to be honest. But, um, yeah. So, as we know, the Western media have historically distorted coverage of wars and conflicts, as per the movie Wag the Dog. Uh, do do go and check that out um, if you haven't already done so. Of course, starring Robert De Niro and Dustin Hoffman. Uh, a really, really uh, great movie. It just shows you how the mainstream uh, media works. And as I say, apparently there's claims of uh, Russian soldiers raping women and awful atrocities. But there's no evidence to suggest... Um, that this is happening. When I say this, I'm certainly, as I said at the start, I'm certainly not taking any sides, but the uh, mainstream me media will always inflate conflict situations and very rarely, if ever, tells the truth about the situation. On the ground, they will use um, faked still images and videos of explosions from previous wars and conflicts. And there's a lot of manipulation going on to create a specific message for, for public consumption. We always need to have a healthy scepticism when looking at mainstream coverage and, of course, our favourite commentators, analysts in the alternative media. Uh, because there's just as much um, irresponsible information that I feel is being shared. Some people are claiming that Putin is a white hat. Think of the whole Q narrative and he's helping to take down the deep state and destroy bio the biological weapons labs who um actually um it's now evidence that these actually they actually do exist victoria newland has actually admitted from the uh biden administration that they they do they do actually exist i think with regards to this idea of trump and russia acting in the vanguard of you know trying to vanquish the deep state. I think, I think that's a little bit um, kind of like how should I say? I think that's an unrealistic view to take. I suspect that what's actually happened with most countries in terms of, if you think of the phrase "real politic," they are just literally acting in their own interests, and they did feel threatened. Sorry, through the expansion of NATO. So that's all they're doing. It's not like they're acting in the interest of humanity. Putin is acting in the interests of Russia. So there's not, I think it's important not to, not to get above ourselves, but it may well be the case that a byproduct of this is that the criminal operations of the Clinton Foundation and the Bidens 
And as I was talking about before, the money laundering and money laundering and child trafficking is being stopped. Again, we don't know. Some people are arguing that he has taken on the Rothschilds banking banking cartel, and like uh, Saddam Hussein before, Russia are being targeted because um, they want to remove themselves from the gold standard, thus threatening the global dominance of the U.S. dollar. Some people are saying that process. Um, is already happening. Other people in the alternative media, they, they kind of ping to the other polarity and claim that Putin is just a puppet. He's following orders from the World Economic Forum. Well, sorry, World Economic Forum, I should say. And we're just watching a movie and Putin is playing his role in helping to enslave humanity as part of, a, part of some sort of nefarious Jewish plot. Um, again, I don't necessarily, I don't really think there's much credence to this kind of um, viewpoint, to be honest. I think it's more likely that Putin and Russia do stand in the way of the New World Order and that ultimately the political establishment in the West do cover Russia's resources and they would like to take them over. <laughs> um, but... I don't believe that nuclear war is inevitable and some people are talking about of course Albert Pike's prophecy three world wars and this is a popular type of uh, viewpoint amongst certain types of preppers and um, survivalists I do think what is happening is, is significant and we shouldn't play down the significance of it but by the same token uh, I do think it's going to be contained to that part of the world i don't think there's any appetite in europe in the main power brokers uh, france uh, germany uk i don't think there's any appetite to get involved in a in a direct confrontation uh with russia having said that i think what you've got is uh the biden administration on the sidelines trying to sort of provoke a situation where a wider war escalates, but they won't direct, directly attack Russia, basically because, as we know, as we've seen recently in Afghanistan, when the United States Army pulled out, Western imperialism, kind of fronted by the American Empire, the post-Second World War settlement, that power base is declining now. America's power around the world is declining, although they still have hundreds of military bases. They're, they're, the re their their ability to exert their power is waning so i think that's a kind of reality of the situation but it's still uh it is still still um very very dangerous um even though i think it won't uh, it won't uh escalate and hopefully i'll prove to be prove to be right um there's also something else i want to talk about is um Behind the scenes, I think that um, probably even since the Cold War, there's been certain protocols that have put, been put in place that make it extremely unlikely that a nuclear war uh, between East and West, between Russia and the West, would ever become a, become a reality. I mean, there's some people that say, and this is a bit of a far out view, there's some people that argue that nuclear warheads don't even actually exist and they've all been... Um, that they don't, they've all actually been decommissioned over the time. I know that's a bit of a far, 
far out their view. But, yeah, I mean, for any of you who are concerned about the threat of nuclear war, um, I really don't think, I don't think you should lose sleep over that. I mean, um, I think it's highly unlikely that that will happen. And hopefully, as I was just saying, hopefully um, I'll prove to be true. So just by way of conclusion, what, what does the future hold uh, in terms of the uh, war conflict in Ukraine? It's, un it's, it's difficult to determine the extent of the conflict. It's impossible to really know Russia's military objectives. Perhaps they've already been met. Some people argue uh, that Ukraine have already surrendered and we're just watching a movie for public consumption. I'm not sure that I necessarily... Uh, agree with that. I mean, what we can be sure of is that both sides, um, both sides are using propaganda, um, and Russia really. Um, I don't think they want to escalate um, the situation. To be honest, and uh, I think what we're likely to see um, in the coming weeks and months is some sort of compromise deal some sort of face-saving peace deal that will be signed between Russia um, and the Ukraine and uh, you know there'll be a, some sort of conference where uh, a handful of Western leaders will meet, meet and shake their hands uh, and they will kind of cast themselves as being the peacemakers and they will say well we've, we've gathered together here today and we've We've pulled the world back from the brink of uh, World War Three and possible uh, nuclear um, nuclear annihilation. So I think that's what we'll see. I don't think, I could be wrong, <laughs> I don't think, and hopefully for the people of Ukraine, it is contained. I don't think it will go on for too much longer. I don't think it will become a protracted situation as we've seen in the likes of... Um, in the Balkans, in the former Yugoslavia, where 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 war went on for about three years between 1991 and 94, I think this there will be um, some sort, as I say, some sort of um, face saving deal. So thank you all for um, listening to today's episode. I hope you are all doing well, and I hope I've managed to just shine, shine, I should say, um, just a little bit of light. Um, in the fog of war and uh, hopefully um, a resolution will be found uh, relatively soon so um, people's suffering in that part of the world um, can be can be um, can be limited and brought to a halt so thank you all for again for listening and I will speak to you all again very soon bye bye for now